Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. Then all the people brake off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Well, friends, we're looking this evening at this chapter. It's a, quite a long chapter. Where we'll try and cover uh, the main parts of it. And it's really a chapter that Israel, I'm sure, wasn't in their history because it's a very dark day uh, for them uh, here, what they have resorted to, resorting so quickly uh, to idolatry. It's just four months now uh, since they've come out uh, of uh, Egypt, and uh, here they are already. They've received the commandment, uh, not to the Ten Commandments, and uh, here they are already disobeying it. Not so long ago, they've received the commandment. Now, very quickly, uh, they are breaking it. And uh, we'll see and draw some lessons uh, from uh, this piece of uh, narrative. When Moses, we left him, he was up in the mount, uh, there with God, and we are allowed to be with him in a sense and given insight into all some of the things that God was saying to him, the instructions that he received uh, for the tabernacle, the Ten Commandments that he received uh, on, uh, on stone, and also the, the garments for the priests and the priesthood. All that instruction was given to him. What was happening to the people below? He was up there on the mount with God. What was happening with all those the Israelites, those two million Israelites below? Well, verse 1 tells us, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. They grew, they were growing impatient. They were growing uh, impatient because for now, over one month, they hadn't seen Moses. Moses was out of sight. And uh, there's no sign of his uh, returning. What's happened to him? Has the Lord taken him? Has he met an untimely death? They didn't know. And they were, uh, they were unprepared to wait uh, any longer. Why is he delaying uh, from coming up? And so here they uh, say to Aaron, Up, make us gods uh, that shall go before us. We don't know what's happened to this man, Moses. And uh, perhaps this was not the first time they'd asked him in that uh, interim period. Perhaps they'd asked him before, but uh, he'd managed 
to rebut their refusal, uh, to rebut their requests. I managed to dissuade them uh, from that intent, but now they can bear uh, no longer to wait, and uh, they command Moses, Aaron rather, to make us uh, gods. And uh, uh, he, here, it's uh, they, 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 they want uh, some visual form, we could say, to replace Moses. When they say, make us gods, they're not actually wanting to replace Jehovah. They're not saying, we don't want Jehovah God anymore. They can't do that. After all, it's so obvious that God has led them out. It's so obvious that God has demonstrated his kindness to them and in delivering them and providing for them all along the way. They can't deny that. And so uh, they, they're not exactly saying we're getting rid of Jehovah and replacing him entirely with a new God. But what they, want, what they are saying is we want a visual representation of this God. Moses so far has been that visual representation to them. Uh, but now he's, 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 no, he's no longer there. He's disappeared. They want another physical object uh, to replace him. Another object, physical thing, to set their eyes upon. And so that they can say, oh, uh, this is symbolic. This is representative of the divine being. This is the gods that uh, 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 have brought us out of Egypt. And these are the gods uh, that will go uh, before us into the promised land. Of course, it was a very foolish request. It was a sinful request. On the, they, they were breaking that second commandment. We are not supposed to make uh, images. How can an image represent the eternal, the infinite uh, God and his attributes? It cannot. Besides, they had a physical representation, representation still in that fiery, cloudy pillar, that hadn't gone, that hadn't disappeared, that was still there. So this was also an absurd request. How can you make gods? <laughs> you can't make a god, but uh, here they uh, want uh, something which they can see. And the lesson is uh, they were not content to just live by faith, to accept by faith. They wanted something that they could visualize and something that they could touch and put a handle as well, perhaps. And these are the, the, uh, the, the physical things that they wanted. They were not content to just wait by faith in the word of God. And today it's like that as well with certain groups of people. Uh, when you think uh, they want more the ceremonials, perhaps in the uh, Catholic Church we see this especially, they want the outside, they want the, the bells and the whistles of uh, ceremony and the, the smell of the incense and all these external things to help them in uh, the worship instead of just living by faith. So when people come to our church and they see the simplicity of our church and there's no altar and there's no candles and there's nothing, no stained glass windows and uh, they say, oh, it's, it's so simple. Is this, is this really, you know, Christian? And uh, they struggle with that. They want all the other things, the visual things. There's no statues to pray to and so on. Well, we live by faith. We, we, uh, our, our worship is by the word of God. Well, verse 2. Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and so on, and bring them unto me. 
Well, if you want to be kind to Aaron, <laughs> you can, uh, we could say that he's attempting to stall the people here. If you want to be mean, you can say he, he's, he's certainly uh, caved in immediately. But perhaps uh, he is trying to put off the people for a while by telling them uh, to, to bring their golden earrings. Uh, he's perhaps hoping and praying that they won't actually do that. In his heart, he's probably thinking, those items that they've gained uh, from Egypt, well, they're too precious to these people, and they won't be willing to uh, give them up uh, so easily and so quickly. Well, he was wrong. He was wrong first, and he underestimated them because very quickly the people uh, were keen to give, and there was no delay in them when it comes to what they wanted. They wanted, they were desperate to have this uh, golden calf, and uh, uh, here, here they respond immediately. Aaron ought to have been strong. Aaron ought to have held his position and rejected outright uh, their request. And now, uh, in trying to do this thing, uh, it's turned uh, upon him. And he not only uh, feels pressurized, but uh, also uh, he, we see him here compromising. Uh, compromising because... Now he's going to give in, and now he's going to allow them to do, and yet at the same time, he's going to try and make it sound almost spiritual. And he's going to have a spiritual, uh, he's not going to uh, let them just turn wholeheartedly to this golden calf and say everything about it. He's going to include in it elements of Jehovah and the worship of Jehovah, and the altar of Jehovah. And he's going to, as we see here, he's going to turn, he turns it into a feast for the Lord. And so what he's doing actually is mixing the two, the golden calf on the one hand, obviously that's idolatry. And on the other hand, he's still saying, uh, well, this is going to be a, a feast uh, for uh, the Lord. He's compromising in what he does. And he's directly gets directly involved. Verse four, uh, he receives the, the the gold, he fashions it with a graving tool, and after he had made it a molten uh, calf, and they said, "These be thy gods, uh, O uh, Israel." So uh, here he's Aaron is he's uh, uh, trying to retain uh, Jehovah in the minds of these people. You see it here. These be thy gods. Jehovah had brought them out. They knew that. But he's attributing that the work of Jehovah uh, to this uh, golden calf. And then verse 5, yeah, he builds that altar, and there is those words, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, a feast to Jehovah, the Elohim, uh, is what he's saying. So he's, he's putting this sort of spiritual context on uh, a, a sin, mixing uh, the true worship with the false worship, using the name of God and yet attaching it to something which is so obviously uh, sinful. Well, friends, we see such compromise, uh, isn't it, uh, today? Well, one more thing, actually, uh, which he did. They, they actually said, make us gods in the plural, and so, but he only made one god. He made one golden calf, again, because he knew in his mind Jehovah is uh, one. So that's also an indication that he's trying to retain an element of uh, Jehovah in this golden calf. But there's compromise uh, going on uh, here. 
There's mixing going on here. And the world, on one hand, and the church cannot mix. The world and the Lord cannot mix. Uh, you cannot have one foot in the world and one foot uh, for the Lord. We have to be wholehearted in, uh, for the Lord and not uh, mix the two. And yet, that is exactly, sadly, what we are seeing uh, today. You know, today, many, many, many young people, young Christian believers, are listening to Christian rock. They're listening to Christian contemporary music. And I'm talking about hard rock and heavy metal. And uh, many of them uh, are listening to these things, and many of them are attending Christian rock concerts. They don't go to the world concerts. Oh, no, that's worldly. They don't go to the, 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 the they don't sing the, the songs in the top ten, uh, but they sing this, the songs in the Christian top ten. Those are the things that they, they but that's the same. What's the difference? It's only the lyrics. The rhythm is, is still the same. The beat is still the same. It's just the lyrics which are different. And that, that's a mixing of uh, something which is holy and something which is unholy, something which is of God and something which is of the world. Feast to the Lord, people say. Oh, we're doing it to the Lord in the churches as well. We see a lot of contemporary Christian worship in the church. And uh, along the teaching may be wonderful. The teaching may be reformed teaching and good teaching and sound teaching and sound teachers. And you can't, uh, you can't fault what they say. But in practice, what's happening in those churches, well, you have to wonder, is it of God? You know, because there is a lot of uh, uh, contemporary uh, Christian worship, and yet it is all comes under, well, it's a feast, we're doing it to the Lord, it's a feast to the Lord, we're, we're using his name, we're singing his name, we're sincere in all these things. Yes, but is it what the Lord has commanded? That's the question we need uh, to ask. Well, verse 6, uh, they rose up, uh, they feasted, they partied, uh, they sang, uh, and they, at the same time, uh, they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings there you see, they sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The word play there means uh, to laugh, but uh, also it was a kind of a euphemism uh, for uh, indulging in uh, immoral sexual activity, uh, which was a common uh, idolatrous uh, practice. So the people were corrupting themselves and they'd gone too far. Once you start the ball rolling, <laughs> it's hard to stop it. And it just goes, takes its natural course, as it's doing here with idolatry. Idolatry and immorality often uh, go uh, together. But then in verses 7 to 14, we see Moses' intercession. He's there, he's up on the mount still, and suddenly the tone of the Lord's voice must have changed from that of instructing him. And uh, here in verse 7, he says, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest up, out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. It's no longer my people whom I have brought out, but your people, Moses, whom you have brought out. And God is angry with his people. God is angry with them who have corrupted themselves. Verse 8, they've uh, turned away uh, from the truth. And verse 9, uh, they are, uh, the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, a rebellious people. The word stiff-necked 
here it comes has the idea of a horse. A horse, uh, if you pull on the reins, you expect the horse to respond uh, to it. If you pull on the reins telling it to go left, well, you expect it to go left. If it doesn't, uh, it's, it stays in the same way. Or you, uh, then it's showing itself to be stiff-necked, as it were. And same, you turn the reins to the right, it doesn't go. But it's determined to go on its own way, regardless of whichever way you pull it. And that's the idea where uh, stiff this idea of uh, stiff-necked uh, uh, comes from, uh, refusing to, to go the way uh, that it should. And here were, were these people who were refusing to go uh, the way that the Lord had directed them to. He'd already taught them the way of truth, and they had turned aside uh, from it. One thing you know about a believer uh, is he's teachable. Especially a new believer, one of the marks of grace is uh, you can see, oh, they're willing to listen. They're willing to even be corrected. They're willing to be shown the right way. They're not hard and difficult to persuade when you show them from the scriptures, of course. But they're willing to hear and to respond to what uh, the, the word of God says and to change their lives uh, accordingly. And that's a very good uh, sign in a person. But here... The people were stiff-necked, and uh, this, we can see in verse 10 how serious their sin uh, is, so much so, so that the Lord even wants to get rid of them. Now therefore let me, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them. I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Let me alone, God says. Let me alone to Moses. Oh, uh, in, in, one, in one sense, he's saying, stop praying for these people, and I will make of you a great nation, Moses. And on the other hand, it's an invitation to Moses to intercede for them and still to pray for them. Uh, Let me alone, uh, he says. Uh, and, but uh, here's a real temptation as well for Moses. I can make of you a great nation. Moses could have said, oh, yes. I'm fed up as well with these people. I've had to bear with them on another occasion. He said to them, isn't it? I, knew, I know you from the, day I, from the day I've known you, you've been a rebellious people. And he could have said, well, I've had enough as well of them if they're, if they're like that. But he didn't. And instead, uh, he intercedes uh, for them uh, very uh, graciously. And uh, he, uh, he prays for them. He stands uh, here in the gap. And we see him using argument after argument uh, with the Lord, reasons why God should uh, spare them. Uh, there he says, they are thy people, uh, Lord, in verse uh, 11. Uh, why does your anger wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth? Lord, they're your property. You've been gracious to them. You've brought them out of Egypt. They're yours, Lord. Uh, spare them. And then there's another argument in verse uh, 12 uh, where he says, well, it's for your honor if you spare them because word will get back to the Egyptians and then they will say, oh, you're a, you only brought them out for an ill purpose, to destroy the people. That's why you brought them out. But it's for your honor if you preserve them and keep them. Otherwise, the, the Egyptians and other nations will speak evil of you. And then verse 13, remember 
your covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Israel, uh, your servants, and uh, the promise you made to uh, give them the land and so on. And uh, this was how Moses argued or put his reasons with the Lord and uh, prevailed with the Lord. And uh, even in, 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 one, in verse 12, <laughs> he says actually to the Lord, Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Well, here is usually God tells us to repent. And here is Moses, humbly, no doubt, saying to the Lord, Turn, uh, repent, Lord, from this evil uh, against your people. Well, friends, uh, this is a good way for us to intercede. We are called to pray for the lost, to stand in the gap uh, for the lost there under judgment. They are soon to be cast into hell unless they find the Lord. And we are to come before him and to fill our mouths also with reasons and arguments why the Lord should spare them. Lord, you will get so much glory to your name in the salvation of such and such a person. And you name that person. If they're saved, more honor will uh, come to you. You're a gracious God. Lord, Get to yourself honor and glory by saving such a person. If you save such a person, Lord, they'll sing your praise instead of taking your name in vain. Instead of blaspheming your name, they will love you. They will seek to obey you, to honor you. They might be useful in bringing other people uh, into your kingdom. They a multitude of sins, Lord, will be hidden away if they come to know you. And so on. Uh, you can plead before the Lord. Then there are the promises of God. Lord, you've promised to bless the preaching of the gospel and that through it souls will be saved. Lord, do as thou hast said. In a humble way, of course, we can plead uh, for the salvation of souls. And the Lord, we read verse 14, repented of the evil that he thought to do unto the people. And then in verse 15 to 20, as Moses is descending from the mount. Well, he's got the two tables, uh, st two stone tables of the law in his hand, on which are written the Ten Commandments. And he comes down uh, with uh, uh, Joshua, who he meets along the way. Uh, Joshua thinks uh, there's a war going on in the camp, and uh, Moses corrects him. It's not the voice of war or victory or those who are overcome, but the voice of uh, rejoicing, of singing, he says in verse 18, uh, that I hear. And verse 19, as soon uh, it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them uh, beneath his, the, the mount. And verse 25, he's, when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. So he saw these things, and he was very, very angry. And he smashed uh, the, the tablets of stone. Not just because he was angry, but uh, because it was a symbolic of the covenant that they had broken. The covenant between God and Israel uh, was now broken. Well, this was a righteous anger. We cannot fault Moses for what he did. Uh, it, was, it's, it was a good thing that he was angry. And sometimes 
pastors and leaders and preachers need to show a little bit of righteous anger, of course under control, but when, when it comes to s certain sins, we mustn't be pally-pally with sins and over-gentle with certain sins, but we have to uh, show uh, some, uh, some of the anger of God against those things. Well, verse, uh, in verse uh, 20, we see Moses taking the, the calf, burning it, grinding it to powder, and particles of the charcoal and the, the, uh, the ashes and the gold were strewn upon the brook that flowed from Mount Sinai, and Moses compelled the children of Israel uh, to drink it. Let them taste the bitterness of their sin. Let them be affected by what they have done. Let them know that, that there are consequences uh, to their sin. And so he uh, forces them uh, to drink uh, of it. And then the interrogation of Aaron starts, as it should do. Verse 21, Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Moses and Aaron, instead of coming clean and acknowledging his, his sin and his fault, he tries to exonerate himself. And here uh, he tries uh, instead to blame the people instead of acknowledging that he got it wrong. You know what they are like. He said, let not your anger wax hot against me. You know what the people are like. They're set on mischief. Verse 24, I'm not to blame. He said, I got the gold and I just cast into the fire and a miracle happened and this calf came out of the fire <laughs> and he, he tried to absolve himself from all the responsibility uh, of what had happened. But of course he was at fault and uh, he was uh, to blame uh, for what had happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 20 we, we read that Moses uh, uh, says the Lord is very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him, and I prayed for Aaron. So intercession, special intercession he had to make uh, even there for Aaron. And that's again a lesson uh, for pastors and leaders, those who are in church uh, positions of responsibility uh, in the church. We need to hold our ground. When we know what is the truth, when we know what God wants us to do, we have to hold our ground. Now, there's a lot of pressure on pastors, even today, to change and to conform uh, to worldly things, to bring in the people want worldly things. One reason why we're very emphatic on a converted membership is because once you admit people into the membership who are unconverted and uh, who are not uh, truly Christians, after a time, very quickly, they're going to want to change things. They're going to want to bring in, they won't be happy with that simple uh, worship by faith that you have. They'll want the excitement. They'll want the something uh, sensational uh, to come into the church. And uh, because that's what the world is, isn't it? The world likes the sensational things and the exciting things of the world. And they, they say, well, that church is boring. We need to change things. We need to uh, alter things. And so they will put pressure and other people may put pressure uh, on, on, the, on the pastors and leaders uh, to change. There's pressure on, on, the, on the pastors oh, uh, women, uh, to allow women to preach, 
Oh, and nowadays we must welcome the LGBT community. We must mustn't, be, mustn't say that they're not Christians. We must welcome them and uh, uh, let them uh, be, have a friendly environment towards them. Well, we're not against LGBT people, we, but we, need, we know they need salvation, and we have to tell them that, not just welcome them as one of us into our membership. And so the pastor needs a bit of a backbone. The leaders in the church need a bit of backbone to say, no, this is not the way that we're going to do it. We cannot allow it to happen. And even if it means our church is smaller than it is, then uh, so be it. But uh, we have to hold uh, to the truth as we see it in Scripture. But then in verses 26 to 28, and I'm coming to a close, uh, here we see Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Or who is on the Lord's side? Well, there are only two sides in the world. Which side are you on? Only uh, the Lord's side or the world's side? Which side are we on? Who is uh, on the Lord's side? And uh, here all the sons of Levi, they moved uh, to stand with Moses. We're with you, uh, Moses. We are on the Lord's side. They showed themselves to be on the Lord's side. And verse 27, uh, he instructs them to go through the camp with a sword by their side and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. 3,000 out of that vast company. That's a relatively small number. But uh, we probably, well, it's unlikely that all of them had got involved. There were definitely true believers there who would have abstained from their idolatry and their parting and so on, definitely. But probably a minority of them were true believers. But of the others, probably they'd returned to their homes. When Moses came down and demonstrated what they'd done was so very wrong, many of them, in, in some measure of shame, would have returned uh, to their homes. But it seems like these 3,000, either they're ringleaders here, or they're ones who are determined still, even though Moses has said this is against God's commandments and demonstrated it so visibly, still they want to pursue in their idolatry. Still they want to hold on uh, to those things and haven't repented. And perhaps it is these who, who were slain by the children of Levi, uh, 3,000 uh, of them. And uh, then we'll just move uh, very quickly to verse uh, 30. It came to pass on the morrow uh, that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for you. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, there's that hyphen there, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast uh, written. And uh, once again, Moses uh, intercedes uh, for the people. Blot me out of thy book. Probably not here the book of life as we know it, the Lamb's book of life, wherein are uh, written the names of the elect, but uh, probably a reference uh, to the book of all the people who were then living 
at that time on the earth. And he is saying, uh, take out, let me die. Uh, if you will not forgive their sin, then let, let me die. And if not, uh, block, if, oh, sorry, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, uh, then dash, but if not, then block me out of that book of the living which thou hast written. But also here, friends, is a mini picture of Christ and what he would do uh, for our souls. That he would come and stand in the gap and make an atonement for our sins. That when he was dying on Calvary's cross, he said, let the punishment that was due to my people fall upon me. And he made an atonement uh, for our sins. He stood for, our, for us. He is our great intercessor. So the Lord accepted Moses' plea. Uh, nevertheless, judgment uh, would fall on the people, uh, in, as we read in verse 35. So friends, uh, this is our lesson for today. Walk by faith, not by sight. Watch out for compromise, of course, on the church level, but also as individual believers. We must uh, be careful not to have one foot in the world and one foot for the Lord, but to be wholeheartedly. We are on the Lord's side. Let, that, let people know whose side are you on. Let there be no doubt in, about my life, about your life, whose side you're on. Some people you don't know. <laughs> Some of you are unsure. Which side are they really on? Are they really for Christ? Or are they for the world? You're not really sure. But let it be clear for each one of us that we love and serve our God and our Savior. Amen.